Today I want to bring a message that's entitled, It's Not About Me. And <laughs> it's in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 24. And it is dealing with two characters, that of King Saul and that of King David. Now, we understand King Saul was anointed king and David was the chosen anointed one. Saul just couldn't give up his post. Um, you know, we've kind of seen that in our society from time to time, haven't we, with, with leadership. And it's not about me. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 22, Anne Lamote said that you can, you know, safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't say love if, if you have enemies or if, 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 if. It's when you have enemies. Jesus knew that there would be problematic relationships on the face of the earth. Why? Because we're not God and we're not perfect and we're not sinless. He knows that we will deal with sin. He knows we'll deal with the relationship. He knows we'll deal with conflict. He knows human life. God has created the human life. We are created in His image. But He didn't get rid of all the problematic areas that we allow to creep in. And so this message is about taking our eyes off ourself and putting our eyes on where it needs to be. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it helps us to see the relationship between the once King Saul and now the newly anointed King David. The question is not whether or not we will have enemies. The, the issue is whether or not we will love and pursue them at a great cost to ourselves. In 1 Samuel 24, it begins this. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness near Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 Israel's choice men, and he went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, he went into that cave to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the back of the cave. So they said to him, look, this is the day. The men says to David, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up, secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, I swear before the Lord, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men and he told them, do not let them rise up against Saul. Now you get the picture. Saul is, is pursuing David. Saul is hungry for David's life. Saul wants to get rid of David. Saul wants to deal with the threat. 
Saul wants it to be all about him. It's all about Saul. And David is running. David is not running because of fear. David is running because he did not want the situation to end to where a life would be taken. David knew that as he stood before the great giant of the Philistine, that he, that God was more powerful than anything that ever come up against him. And Saul was no, nowhere compared to the giant of Goliath. At Goliath. And so David knows that if he was ever in an encounter with Saul, Saul was not going to win because David believed that God anointed him the king. David believed that God was more powerful than any other force and any other enemy. And so David did not want to see Saul's life taken. That's where it was at. Saul had an opportunity, he thought, to find David. And he thought he was there around this area that he was traveling. Saul kind of had an urgent need that happened physiologically to his body. And so he went into the cave to relieve himself. And that's being the nice way of saying it. And David and a few of the men were hiding in the, the dark shadows of the cave. Saul didn't know it. And so here was an opportunity for David to rise up against Saul. And David wouldn't do it. And so we asked the question, is there something in this story about the conflict between David and Saul that can help us in the conflicts that we go through in our everyday life? Now we continue reading. Then Saul left the cave and he went on his way. After that, David got up, went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. Isn't it interesting? He still recognizes him as king. David knew that he was king. David knew that God had more plans for the nation of Israel. David knew this, but he still, out of respect, called him my king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed to the ground in homage. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of people who say, look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you. And I said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. You see, my father, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off, but I did not kill you. In other words, he says, do you realize that I was that close to you? that I, if I wanted you dead, I would have done it. He's helping him to realize, look and recognize that there is no evil and there's no rebellion in me. I haven't sinned against you even though you were hunting me down and to try to take my life. I am panting like a dog and I am thirsty and I'm still running because I'm not running out of fear of my life. I'm running because I don't want your life taken. That's David's attitude because he knows God is more powerful than Saul. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord take vengeance on, on you for me, but my hand will never be against you. As the old proverb says, wickedness comes from wicked people. My hand will never be against you. Who has the king of Israel come after? Who are you chasing after, a dead dog, a flea? 
May the Lord be judge and decide between you and me. May he take notice and plead my case and deliver me from you. When David finished saying these things to Saul, Saul replied, Is that your voice, David, my son? That would be like, well, who in the world do you think has been talking to you, dummy? <laughs> yes, it's me. What do you think? And so here he says to him, You are more righteous than I, for you have done what is good to me, though I have done what is evil to you. It's like, all right, Saul's getting it. Saul is starting to melt. Saul is finally, finally going to back down here and realize who's in control. And he says, you yourself have told me today what good you did for me. When the Lord handed me over to you, you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord repay you with good for what you've done for me today. Now I know for certain you will be king. Say that again. I know for certain that you will be king. Then why don't you just go? Why don't you just leave him alone? Why don't you just say, I'm sorry, and end the statement? Why don't you just say, enough's enough. Forgive me, and walk away. Sound familiar? And yet, therefore, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David swore to Saul. Then Saul went back home, and David and his men went up to the stronghold. It's a unique story. It's a unique chapter in Scripture about two individuals and an enemy was, had become enemies. And yet one was pursuing the other. David did not hate Saul. Saul hated David. David did not want to cause harm. Saul wanted to cause harm. David wanted reconciliation. Saul did not. David wanted to love him. Saul wanted to hate him. So there's a conflict of interest, isn't it? That's where we're talking about resolving conflict. There are two individuals going at each other, and they have become enemies. And so how is this situation going to be resolved? How do you in your life resolve the conflict? You love them, but they don't love you. You want to see good, but they don't want to see good back. How do you resolve that conflict and make it better in your life, and how do I do it in my life? It's an everyday experience that we all face because we're human beings living in this imperfect world of imperfect people. But we realize that God is the perfect God who can take the conflict and change it around into something better. So we see clearly a collision between two worldviews, between these two men. Saul displayed his fear, his paranoia, his jealousy about David, and David acts in humility. And David acts with courage on how to handle Saul's uh, opposition. So this wonderful story is an example of what it means to pursue our enemies and to live out the truth that it's not about me. David stood there, and this is what's remarkable. David stood there and face to face, but still at a little distance, obviously. But he stood there face to face with Saul. And he says, Saul, I know you don't love me, but I love you. And I recognize you that you are my king. And I realize that you at this point, 
do not recognize me as the anointed king at that point as he was talking with him. And David is looking at him and saying, I care about you. And this whole situation that we're in today, it is not about me. It's about what God desires. It's not about what I desire. I didn't wake up as a 12-year-old boy and said, this is the day I'm going to be anointed king. I didn't wake up with a slingshot in my hand saying, I'm going to beat the giant. I didn't wake up that morning and, and wrestle the bear and the lion. It wasn't, that's what I wasn't looking for. I was going about as a shepherd boy doing my normal duties. And God had a, cho a choice, a, a, a calling in my life, and he chose me. And he says, Saul, I'm standing here. This was not my desire. It is what God desires. And because of what God desires, I want to be what he wants me to be. And I stand here before you as a man of love. And, he, and I try to stand here in humility and say to you, I love you. I respect you that you have been king. And here was Saul. And he has to make a decision. Do I accept what David's saying? Or do I pursue him further? And so here, here's what David gives. He gives us a few truths about conflict that can apply to our individual lives uh, when it comes to the people of, of, that we're dealing with. First of all, let's look at the truths to resolve conflict. I think Renee will get the screen back up in just a moment. But the truth about conflict. First of all, I want us to look at the, how you and I can do like David did and the first thing is to affirm the worth in others. To affirm the worth in others. Now, if you go back to verse 4 and 7, 4 through 7, look what David says. So they said to me, look, this is the day. Right, these are the men that are around David whispering in his ears. He says, David, we are tired of running. We're tired of this hatred behavior. We're tired of the conflict. You have in the power of your hands the opportunity to end this relationship and you will be king. No more conflict. You will be the man. David was right there with his men. He says, you remember the scripture? You remember what the Lord said? He said, I, one day I'm going to hand you, put him in your hand. And you're, the enemy will overtake you so that you can do to him what you desire. All right. David got up, secretly cut off the corner of his robe. And it goes on down. And this is what David says. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And with these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. So Saul left the cave and went about his way. Basically, here was King David affirming the worth of Saul. Now, if you ever want to resolve the conflict in your life, go to that person. Instead of trying to point out their faults, look at them and affirm their worth. Affirm their worth. Put your hand on the shoulder and look at them and say, I love your leadership style. Your leadership style 
in my life is inspiration. I love how you handle your life. You're affirming some things, realizing that you have this conflict right there before you. This happened to me this week when I was ready <laughs> to, to blow up and I turned and put my hand on his shoulder and I just as I said to him, I affirm you. I believe in you. You have an impeccable leadership skill. You have an expectation around you and people around you that when you bark the orders, they take care of you. I'm here to serve you, but not to follow your orders. I'm here to give to you, but not to do as you say. I am my own person. You are your own person. But I affirm you. And I'm thinking, I got to get out of this situation. Because if I don't affirm him, I'm going to hit him. And so I'm trying to affirm his worth. David does just that to Saul. He affirms his value all with, with the people around him. When the people, the men could have disobeyed Saul, uh, King David. They could have went ahead of King David and took care of the Saul issue. But David persuaded them. So David had to calm them down. He had to kind of tell them, all right, get behind me, guys. Don't get in front of me. And yet he says to him, this is the anointed. He's recognizing his worth. This is a person God has created. This is a person that God has redeemed. This is a person that God loves. This is a person that God has used. And this is a person that I'm not going to end his life and get in, get in the way of God's, God's work. So he's affirming that value of Saul. In all fairness, David had every right to harm Saul. In, in you know, all fairness, David was now the rightful king. Saul was not. He even buys into the idea of sneaking near Saul and cutting off the piece of the robe, not really knowing that he would have opportunity just seconds later to prove how close he was to him. But afterwards, David's heart struck him, and he would not seek the harm, the Scripture says. David is affirming the worth and respecting that, 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 that he is flawed, that he is a sinful man, just as Saul is flawed, and that he's a sinful man. Yet still, the king that God initially chose for Israel was still alive and would remain this is an important point for us as we deal with conflict. And yet, it's not about us. It's so easy to stand there and to poke your chest out and to give all the reasons why you're right and they're wrong. But the person who is at conflict with us does not need to hear how much wrong they are. And they surely don't need to hear how right we are. It's not about me. It's not about the right. It's not about the wrong. It's about the fact that as two human individual, hum, individuals, human beings, and both of them are loved by God, created by God, and yet hopefully both are redeemed by God. And so the idea is to affirm their, their worth, their value. And yet an important point so that we can realize that 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 we're not going to forget the truth 
of who that person is. They are created in God's image. And I like this statement. If they're Christians, Christ redeemed them and purchased them. And if they're not Christians, they desperately need to be redeemed and purchased. So we're, we're about facing one of two issues. We're looking at the redeemed or we're looking at the, the, the potential of the redeemed. And yet our relationship may determine their redemption. And so if we could see past the hurt and see past the hearts that have been struck, we can move forward and reach them greater with a sense of humility and patience than any other thing we can do. We must also be aware that others may urge us to follow the natural instincts. Fight back. Prove that you're right and they're wrong. Let them know that they are this little and you are bigger than them. And you, you, you have those natural tendencies. And yet the well intentions from others may encourage us to fight with the weapons of this world. But we must be careful to heed their advice or not heed their advice, walk away from their advice and follow the unction of the Spirit of God in our life and seek reconciliation, not to hinder it. To grow in relationship with that person, not divide it. Even those who oppose us, how easy would it be to write someone off when perhaps God is doing something bigger in both of our lives? So to end the relationship may say to them, I don't believe God is working in your life. He's only working in mine. So I'm going to take God with me and leave you alone. Whereas when we should be working to the fact of believing that God is just, just as much working in your life as he's working in my life, we just have this conflict in between that we're just not seeing eye to eye. The application is in what ways are you and I only seeing the hurt that someone's causing us? How can you and I affirm their worth and their value as a person created in the image of God? It's a tough, it's a tough decision to make. I know it is. I want to always be right. But my wife tells me I'm not. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I hear you, George. <laughs> Thanks for the comfort. You know, it's just our natural tendency. We, no one wants to wake up in the morning and have the finger pointed in our face and say, you're wrong. It, our natural tendency is to fight back and say, no, I'm not. And let me prove to you why I'm not wrong. And so that's David. That's where David is and Saul is. Saul's saying, you're wrong. And David has an opportunity to say, no, I'm not. But David says, it's not about me, and it's not about right or wrong. It's about God. And I love you, Saul, and I'm not going to harm you. You know why? Because you're my king. I, I know that God has his anointing in your life. Unfortunately, I also know that it's not going to be the anointing of king. I'm your king, but you are my king because you once were my king, and you'll always remain my king. He loves him. Second of all, we must make the first move toward reconciliation. Now, Saul went into that cave to relieve himself. David was in that cave seeking an opportunity 
there's a possibility here that I can reconcile with Saul and I'll prove to him that I could have done something he was going to do to me, but I'm gonna prove to him that I don't have the heart to do it because I love him greater. David seeks reconciliation with Saul at a great cost and at a risk to himself. He pursued Saul to clarify and to resolve the situation. Saul need not fear David. Saul need not believe the lie that David was his enemy. David wanted to clarify this. Yes, Saul should fear David. Verse 15, we see things begin to change in the story. Things begin to happen. Something's happening good. Something's working. Something's kind of getting communicated between the two. And this is how we should approach our own enemies. We should love them, Jesus says. We should love them with Christ's love. We should pray for them who persecute us. We should care for them. I've shared this story before, and I can share this story because it has a good end result. And I know Mark would not mind me sharing this, another Mark in my life that you don't, have never met. And I worked for a gentleman. Uh, his name was Mark. And he, uh, I was 16 years old, and we were working for a cleaning company in the Georgetown area, South Carolina. And, you know, it became more of a routine. My brother and I and our best friend, it was three of us. And we could run, as teenagers, we were trained very well by our boss. Uh, when we all got our license, we could drive the van. We could go around. And so we divided up. And we had all these buildings. So when everybody slept, we were working all during the night. And here we were in school as well. We were making money. We were having a good time. It was just one of those things. The faster you do the building, the more money you make the boss, and the happier he, he is. Well, he had a tragedy to happen in his life. His, his father-in-law owned a sporting goods store, and his father-in-law was brutally beat, left half dead in the store as the store was robbed. And, of course, he and his wife immediately went to his father-in-law to be with them because it was touch and go for several weeks. And he called and says, guys, I've trained you well. You've got to run this business. I've got to take care of my family. Handed us the keys and said, go with it. Well, right before that happened, our best friend was fired because he had done something the boss didn't like. So it was left to my brother and I. And we were running this business as young kids. And our best friend was fired just prior to all this happening. And so we started working the business and realized, you know, this is not as easy as it looks. It's taking more time without the boss. We're having to cover a little bit more than we thought we had to cover. And we're working to the wee hours of the morning to the sun's coming up and we're having to be in a classroom by 7 to 30 in the morning in high school. So we hired our friend back. <laughs> not knowing how we're going to pay the guy. Well, the boss came in. Infuriated, infuriated, just furious with us. And we all got fired. And I hated his guts. How dare him have the right to fire me after what I've been doing for him? How dare him have the audacity to take away what I'm doing for him? That was my attitude as a young kid. And I hated him. I wished him that going down the highway, if he ran over a nail, he'd have a blowout and have a crash. 
I wished harm on him. I thought of ways that I could get him in the middle of the night and harm his family. That's how mad I was. And here I was, a Christian young teenage boy, freshly knowing Christ, freshly redeemed, and I had these attitudes. And then the more God worked on my heart, the more I saw that I was wrong and he was right. And I kept on. And for about six months or nine months went on, I finally had to go back to him. And I knocked on his door in the middle of the afternoon, and he opened the door. And I said, Mark, I want to say to you I'm sorry. He said, well, listen here. If you're apologizing to get your job back, you're not getting it. I said, Mark, I'm not here to get my job back. I'm here as a Christian person. I'm here as a Christian boy to say to you I'm sorry. And what I did was wrong. And I I want you to forgive me. I should have listened to you, and I hope all is well in your family. Well, life went on. And here I was, the pastor of the first church that I was pastoring. And he has a cleaning business, and one part of the cleaning business, you'd go into these grocery stores and these large uh, stores overnight, and you would... While everybody's sleeping, you would be working and you'd be stripping the floors and cleaning them so the next morning they open, they're nice and shiny. We had a lot of the Piggly Wigglies all up and down that we used to do from Charleston down to Wilmington. And we would do that in the middle of the night on the weekends and strip those floors to present them back when they opened on Monday morning. Believe it or not, they were closed on Sunday during that time. And so the church had this big fellowship hall and we needed the floor stripped and cleaned. And the church looked up someone to call. And here was my boss inside the church building. As I came there in the middle of the night, saw the lights on, not knowing what had happened, I stopped in to cut the lights off. And there was my old boss. And here I was the pastor of the church in which he was being hired to work for. So let me ask you this. What would have happened if I would have never went back to him and said, I'm sorry? What would have happened if I would have never sought to that reconciliation with Mark? And here I stood as a pastor and him basically being employed under my authority, under the church's authority. You see, we must make the first move to reconcile. Even when it means we swallow our pride and we eat our shoe leather a little longer. We must make the first move. David clarifies his intentions with Saul. He said he meant meant for him no harm, but my hand shall not be against you, David says in verse 13. The longer a conflict festers, the longer it grows, the more slanted our views of ourself as well as others become. What, what began as a small point of contention can turn into a major misconception. We must seek to clarify our motives and, and our intent as we pursue the others and begin to reconcile with them. The application of it is this. Who are you avoiding that you need to pursue? Are you waiting on them to make the first move? Why not rather go to them, clarify the situation, and gently confront what has perhaps 
turned into a misconception. You never know until you try. You can't make it happen, but you can sure make the situation better if it's going to happen if you make the first move. Number three in these truths to resolve conflict and last is this. Agree to do each other good. David and Saul reached an agreement. David already said to Saul, if I wanted to kill you, here's the proof in my hand, I would have done it, my friend. But I don't, I don't see you that way. You're my anointed. You're my king. He recognized and gave him his worth. He recognized his value. And, and David says, no, you're not, you're, not the desi- you're not the desire in my life to be rid of. I want to work with you. I don't want to work against you. And yet Saul at that point says, no. If I could get close to you with the sword in my hand, I would strike you, David. But the further that conversation went, Saul kind of melted. And he come up to agreement. He says, I know you're going to be king one day. Saul admitted that. He says, I know that you are going to be king. I know that you're the king. So I ask you, when you become king, even though he's already king, when you become king in the recognized sense of the term from the society in which we live, will you do me a favor? Will you show favor on my family and spare them? Absolutely. It's almost like, hey, you want, you want a big turkey feast? I'll send it straight to your house. You want to go on vacation with me? I'll invite you to go. He says, of course, I'm not going to mess you up. You're not going to mess me up. So they agreed to do good to each other. So here's the promise. David would keep his word to Saul. He would do Saul and his house good as long as he was king. And we see evidence of this and how David responds even to Saul's death. That's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27, as well as, as other stories that are listed in the book of 2 Samuel. Go back to chapter 9, be an example. Evidence of true reconciliation is continuing love and continuing goodness. Conflict always gives us a chance to get closer to one another. Wait a minute, what'd you say? Conflict always gives us the opportunity to be closer to one another. Because when things are going well, you might be at a distance. And maybe a phone call or an email or just a happen chance meeting on the side of the road type of an experience, kind of a renewing. Conflict, guess what it does? It causes you to be closer in contact with one another. It causes you to, to be more proactive, to communicate with one another. It causes you to give up some things in your life to put it in their hands. So you're having interaction more so with the person you're in conflict with than the person you're at ease with. So it's an opportunity to actually be closer to that person. See, evidence of true reconciliation is when that continuing love and goodness is beginning to be drawn out in the person we're at conflict with. So what's the goal? To grow in our understanding of ourselves, to grow in the understanding of them, or to glorify God in the relationship. 
So if a genuine commitment to do one another good is not reached, then reconciliation has not taken place. You see, I don't know when it happened. I saw his van going down the highway and I would say, Lord, help him have a blowout and crash. But something happened when I saw the van the next time. God, I pray for Mark and his family, Janet, and his wife, Janet, and his family. I pray that, that something good's happening. Something happened in my own heart that needed to happen. Believe me, it needed to happen. I needed a bad spiritual spanking. And yet, if, if true reconciliation, I've never thought of that spiritual spanking. Um, <laughs> if true reconciliation is not there, then the good is not happening. C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something or something and someone to forgive. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Many of us love the idea of reconciliation, of doing good to our enemies. But when we have to do it, <laughs> it becomes a little tougher. I know that. Now, we can't make good happen back, and we cannot make reconciliation and relationship take place. But we can sure help it if we're providing the good and we're trying to be reconcilable. The application is, why are we so reluctant to do good to those who have opposed us? How can we overcome this and truly seek the good of others? Are you and I committed to the good of those who, who, pursue, who oppose us and do so in a strong way? It's not about me. That's what David teaches us in this passage. David is a great example of what this looks like in real time. He resisted harming Saul. He moved first toward him. He sought the good of his enemy. We must learn from David. Unfortunately, we know that there are times in David's life where he thought more about himself, and when he did, it was his big downfall. We can look into other episodes of his life and conclude that he's not always that perfect model. We know that. As he was a king after God's own heart, and he became a king after his own heart, and then returned back to the king after God's own heart. However, there is a greater David. And that greater David is within him. And yet for us today, the greater of you and the greater of me is within me. When you and I commit our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? The spiritual DNA that we have is transformed and intermingled to the spiritual DNA of the Lord God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as a result, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in this temple. And so therefore, God lives within us. And the greater us is within us. The greater David is within him. Because God is the true king who is infinite, and, and yet he is eternal, and he is powerful. And yet you and I must know that when we're in conflict with someone else, that greater in us is the God who lives, who loves, and wants to see the relationship mended and handled. And things can turn out great when we put our faith and trust that God knows more about this relationship than we do. 
Romans 5 verse 8 said, God shows his love for us in that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we were the enemies of God. We, from the very beginning, we were the enemies of God. And yet, as a result of that, he resisted harming us. He made the first move. He pursued Adam and Eve when they first sinned, and and they, they began to run from God. He's now committed to do the good, and he wants good things to happen. For those who love him are called according to his purpose. He knows how to work those things for the good of those who love him. God is all about reconciliation. He demonstrates it when he becomes, when Jesus becomes the enemy of God for that split second, when sin entered his heart, I mean entered his life because he took on himself the sin of the world. And for that split second, he says, I am willing to become the enemy of God so that you can become the friend of God. And I'll show you because no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Powerful, isn't it? Jesus himself shows us right there on the cross how to resolve conflict. When the truth resonates in our heart, we can move towards someone in humility and with great patience and truly understand that person and seek reconciliation and love them even though they do not love us. To turn that enemy's state of relationship into a love relationship, knowing that we may have the power to do them harm or to belittle them or to prove them wrong, but we do not do that because we see them as created by God and God's up to something in their life and we don't want to ruin it. We want to help it. And we want to see something grand happen. I could have asked you this question when I started, and you would have probably, it would have made sense to you. But I'm now going to ask the question, which I think puts the whole message into application. Who do you need to seek in humility to aid in reconciliation? Who do you need to seek in humility? to aid in reconciliation. You never know until you try. Love your enemies, as Jesus says, and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, we're to love those who really want to harm us, and we're to pray for those who want to spit at us. Jesus says, there's no greater love And a man laid down his life for his friends. And there's no greater opportunity than one demonstrate that love toward someone else. So will you do that? Well, if you are an enemy of God today, in other words, you've never never come to know him, you will remain an enemy of God, not because God desires that, but because you have chosen it. And you can remedy that and you can change it. And you can change the the relationship that you may not know exists. A relationship 
that if you're not knowing Christ, you are at a hatred relationship towards God. But God is not at a hatred relationship towards you. And it's by saying, Lord Jesus, come live in my life and clean me up. Save me from my sin so that I can become the friend of God. I want to be saved. No greater time. Those who are listening in, if that is your desire, fall to your knees where you are. If you need help, throw a pillow on your knees, but fall down to the ground and cry out to God, God save me. It's just that simple. Or it may be that you're saying, you know, there are people in my life that, that I need to reconcile with. Do you realize that your relationship to God will never be right until your relationship with others are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a trio there of harmony. And that harmony begins with God. It moves down to others, flowing from ourself. Why? Because God lives in, lives in us, and we flow out, He flows out through us. So will you do that? No, great, no greater experience than to be able to look at someone coming down the highway and no longer wish them harm, but to want to embrace them and love them for who they are. No greater example to be able to look in someone's eyes and say, you know, I remember the day, but today you're important. And I love you. That story doesn't end. Because shortly thereafter, about 10 to 12 years later, guess who called me to perform the ceremony of his daughter to be married? But Mark. What would have happened if I'd have never sought that reconciliation? I had ruined, ruined the opportunity that God placed before me. I would have messed it up big time. It's always a greater story waiting. What will be your story of success tomorrow? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that you love us so, demonstrating that love in an eternal, passionate love through the Lord Jesus Christ that you have reconciled, opened up the door to reconcile the world unto yourself. We know the scriptures and the scripture says it is your desire that all men, all people call unto you as Lord, that no one perish but have eternal life. We know it is your desire that no one be outside the fold of, of kingdom citizenship. We know it's your desire that no one be cast into the lake of fire. And so, Father, we know your love is there. And you live within us. And so we know that love is within us. Help us to demonstrate the kingdom principle. Help us to represent the king of kings. Help us to live forth as an ambassador and representative of a greater love than, than beyond human love. To demonstrate care, reconciliation, and humility and patience toward anyone. Thank you, Father, for being patient towards us and surely demonstrating great humility through the person of Christ, through our Christ, through our Lord, our Messiah. Thank you, Father, for giving us the power and the empowerment to represent your kingdom and to represent our King. In your name that we pray, amen.